0: It all starts with perception. What if our perception of the world and its many inhabitants expanded? Every being has a different vantage point. When we truly know a soul, we find solace. Asking questions with an open mind and heart is how we learn how to relate to one another. Relational healing goes beyond the surface level. When we listen to someone on a deeper level, we fear less and love more. We're all teachers. Every being on this planet has a gift that is meaningful to share. This podcast is about expanding our vision and illuminating the threads that weave us together as a community. Simply put, this podcast is about lessons in love. Welcome to Unified Threads.
1: Yes, we so don't need young people and you know whether it be as a, an educator or as a parent to do this work. This is just work that if we're trying to better ourselves and really show up in any space, I feel like this work is just necessary.
0: Well, hello, everyone. Amy Schroads here, one of the co-creators of Unified Threads, and I am extremely honored and excited to introduce our season two finale guest on Unified Threads today, Malika Diggs. Malika and I met through some mutual work we are involved with in the realm of self-directed education. And on Malika's Instagram, uh, she describes herself, I'm sorry, I just made an assumption on pronoun and I shouldn't have done that. So since we're live recording, let me just go ahead and start with, could you actually share your pronouns with us and any other social identifiers that you'd like to share with us? And then I'll also mention anything off of your Instagram as well.
1: Oh, sure. So Malika is always good with me. She, her are my preferred pronouns. And yeah. That's, that's about it for right now. <laughs> okay,
0: cool. Well, in the Instagram realm, you describe yourself as a BIPOC, a Black and Indigenous, people of color focused, unschooling, self-directed education, youth advocate, racial equity and inclusion trainer, a presenter, a workshop development and facilitator, and of course, the founder of Eclectic Learning Network and mm-hmm. co-founder and core member of Philly's Children Network and former board member of the Alliance for Self-Directed Education. Yes. So a lot of different (laughs) projects that you're involved with there.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. But they they all uh, go hand in hand. So it, it doesn't feel stretching. Not at all.
0: Definitely. I mean, I heard about your work through the Eclectic Learning Network for the first time. And I wanted to highlight that realm of your work um, because I found a lot of resources there that I've learned a lot from as an an adult who works with children but doesn't have any children.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm sure
0: that people could learn from all different walks of life there. Um, So I'm just going to read about the mission statement of ELN. Your website says it's a secular BIPOC, which is black and indigenous people of color, centered network dedicated to providing resources, training and workshops to families and learning spaces that shift ways toward learning as a lifestyle and partnership based relationship Mm -hmm. relationships. Um, So I was just wondering if we could get a little bit more into that mission statement and like what you mean by partnership based relationships, because that's what draws Mm -hmm. me to your work is I, I want and desire deeply for all of my relationships to be partnership centered, not just in my romantic, intimate type relationships, but also friendships and colleagues and, and other areas. So, and with children too, of course. Um, So I was just wondering if you could share some more about your motivation and desire to, to, to do that type of work.
1: Sure. Well, for me, my motivation was my children. I mean, this wasn't, I don't know if this would be a part of my journey, or at least right now, if my children were not in my life. Young people, whether you birth young children or whether just young people are a part of your life in general, young people have a really, really beautiful way of showing you exactly who you are. And... (sighs) it journeyed me into a time where I had to think about my own childhood. That wasn't something that I thought about previous to being a parent, but it definitely showed up when I became a parent. And I realized throughout that entire childhood journey that I really wasn't asked much of anything when it came to autonomy or consent. It just wasn't a part of the conversation and so many of us are just filled with childism where we we look at young people as young people but they don't necessarily have the same values or the same levels of understanding that young that adults do but and though parts of that is true what room are we giving as adults to be able to allow young people in this space Where could we start? And for me, that starts with looking at how the relationship itself between myself and a young person is even valued or defined. And like many, many folks, we are raised in spaces where young people are um, not heard (laughs) unless spoken to. And that's I can say for sure that that was the realm that I grew up in, and I did not want that. And I wanted to be able to engage my relationships with my daughters from a place of partnership. So that when we are discussing what their interests are, how our house flows, just whatever's rising for them, it is done from a place of partnership. When I look at different emotions, there are more people than there are emotions. So there's always going to be an overlap and how that shows up. How am I showing up to the space? If this was an adult who was exhibiting behaviors that we see in a young person, do we take more time to speak about or gain clarity on what they, what's happening? Or do we just point the finger and go at them and place blame? And many times we do the latter when it comes to young people. And we don't allow the space to really ask clarifying questions, to get Real understanding behind what is happening, we kind of just go with however we're triggered or our assumptions or perceptions of what's happening. So, for me, partnership based parenting is that where I am inviting them to the table and not just from the not just for the sake of inviting them, you know, but literally inviting them to the table and they have a voice and they can share what's showing up for them, what challenges they have, and also just what grooviness they're experiencing. We want to be able to do that together. So for me, in all relationships, partnership-based relationships, regardless of you're a parent or not, that's really the focus of ELN's work and exploring what learning is. It's hard to explore learning if you have so many roadblocks within yourself and you just can't explore learning the way in all of its vast abundance because we have so many roadblocks so that's kind of a little bit behind why partnership parenting is really where it's at and it grew over time it definitely was not something that just showed up as soon as i started this journey
0: thank you for sharing that because i feel like probably all of us listening are you know in a journey right now where maybe there's an area of our relationships that we wish that we could have more connection because of everything that's happening in the world or more community. Um, and I'm wondering, you talked about triggers and and not coming from like a reactive place of being triggered. How do you do that when you do feel triggered? I mean, do you still experience triggers even though you've been doing this for a while or when it comes up,
1: how have you learned to manage that? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, triggers are there and, And I think that sometimes the myth behind this type of work is that, for me at least, this work isn't about eradicating that. A trigger is a trigger. But what we do with those triggers is really where my focus falls. It's if, if my young person does something and I'm just like, ah, right? And I, and I wanna really react in a particular way, but it's not necessarily healthy. Then for me, just taking a pause, that is the literal first easy practical thing that anyone can do. And just take a few deep breaths when those moments happen it doesn't mean that every moment is going to be like that. Sometimes your triggers will show all the way up (laughs) before you can catch a breath and it's happened. And you have to work through that and what that's gonna show up to be. But when you're able to put a pause, just hit the pause button on what you're about to say. That's what I do. And I just take a breath and instead of entering the dialogue with, this is how I feel, and this is what I want you to know, blah, 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 blah. It's, you said that, and this is where my mind goes. Could you give me some more clarity around that? This is how I'm perceiving what you're saying. And it's not from a space of belittlement or being condescending. It really is for me to understand, because I'm only hearing you in a certain lens. And if I'm not if I don't get enough information, I'm just going to lead with that. But I could be very much wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this leads into the values on your website. Uh, where mm-hmm. You've got, you know, first and foremost, community, connection, awareness, Ubuntu, Ubuntu and um, the mm-hmm. work of unpacking, owning, reflecting, pivoting, practicing, and repeating. Yeah. So from what I'm hearing, it sounds like that's what we have to do is just take a pause to do that unpacking. To do the yes. reflection.
1: Yeah, every time. You know, there is no, there's no wiki how to this. You know, this is this is living. And it, people call it unschooling, people call it deschooling, whatever schooling or label for me, it's all living. And if I'm thinking, if we're all thinking about coming across whether you get a new pet or whether you have a new young person in your life, those stages from birth to two years old, you're watching all of these behaviors show up. Language is starting to be understood between both parties, whether they speak English or not. But identifiers are showing up, and that takes time. It takes a lot of repetition. It takes revamping and, and pivoting. But first and foremost, acknowledging that there should be a pivot, not forcing ourselves into something, but honestly, authentically looking at our own behaviors and looking at how that could possibly show up. Young people, what I call, for me, young people are, if you ever think about those mirrors in a carnival and they kind of change, morph your shape, for me, that's how young people hear us as adults. Mm-hmm they don't hear us as we are. They're hearing certain tones and inflections and certain ones are more embellished for a young person's ears and they're beautiful at doing mimicry. So they're mimicking based on their perceptions, but if they don't have anything concrete to work with, then what we see is a caricature of our own behaviors. And if we're not in a space to really sit with that and unpack that, then it will be several cycles of the same thing.
0: Mm. Do you have any, any guidance for us on how to, when we know, okay, we've been triggered, we need, to, we need to acknowledge and pivot here, but maybe we've already said what we were thinking instead of saying, this is what's coming up, I need to take a second. Maybe we didn't take a second, and now we have to figure out how do we pivot in a way that acknowledges that too. Do you have any mm-hmm. advice on that or
1: situations that's come up in? From a restorative Yes, from place. a restorative place, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I cannot even count the number of times my triggers have blurted out. <laughs> One, I wasn't even aware. I just kind of saw my tr- some of those triggers as part of what it meant to be a parent because that's the way I was raised, you know? And if I'm in a space and those triggers come out, And the impact is there. I have to acknowledge it directly with my young people or directly with the person that I'm in discourse with to let them know that, you know what, that is how I felt, you know, that does it's it wasn't a lie. And I'm not going to. I don't say that, well, you know, upon further thought, I changed my mind. No, that was very much what was on my mind and I stated it, but it was not from a fair place. It was not from a respectful place. So knowing that, acknowledging that, acknowledging that what I could have done or said was hurtful, what can I do to support you right now? What information could I possibly give you? Would you like to converse about this a little bit more? Because I honestly would like to learn more about your perspective and what you're seeing and feeling and witnessing. I want to know more. So if you are open, I welcome to really sit and listen to what you are saying and potentially give feedback, but only if you want. Mm
0: So to me, that ties into the de-schooling work of, of like what you have in your values of shedding the programming and habits that resulted from other people's agency over your time, body, thoughts or actions, designing and practicing beliefs that align with your desire to thrive, be happy and succeed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's what I'm always coming back to in my own life of just like how to shed the programming and habits.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a slow walk and. Slow or fast? I mean, I guess that's dependent upon how we measure, right? What these things look like. And for me, that also taps into schoolishness because we have grown accustomed to okay, here's a particular task, here's a challenge, and we have X amount of time to be able to accomplish said task. For me, that we use that same formula when we are talking about life changes, and it's not a fair. We're not being fair to ourselves, in my opinion. If I'm thinking about someone who's on the parenting journey, who's possibly on the weight loss journey, who is on just health and wellness overall, who's on the job hunt journey, all of these things impact us in different ways. And some are definitely more challenging than others to work with. But time are the speediness of which we're looking for something. I mean, right now we live in a time where At the click of a button, we can find out anything that we want to know. And we kind of function in a yesterday mentality, but we function on a whole other time frame. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And when we rush into wanting to change very deep and impactful aspects of ourselves, for me, I find that we put ourselves even deeper into a spiral. We find that we're upset at the fact that we're upset. (laughs) <laughs> and we lose sight of what brought us to this pain point to begin with. And for me, I don't, there is no formula to sorting ourselves out. There is, I I don't even know if I would want a mathematical formula mm-hmm. because it's life. It is organic. It's flowing. And whatever shows up for me, I want it to be real. And I've spent enough decades dealing with Trying to strive for the things that I wanted while kind of neglecting the things that I needed.
0: Mm. Learning as a lifestyle to learn what we even
1: need. <laughs> <seems> yes, like. <laughs> because sometimes what we need calls for us to make a shift that we are not necessarily ready to face.
0: Mm. Wow, <laughs> not sink in for a second. I think I'm at the, I'm there in my own personal life too. So. Mm. <laughs> So that resonates hard. Well, I mean, totally recognizing that there's no formula and we're all figuring this out as we go along. But there does need to be, like, some intention and, like, I don't know, I guess focus point that we're, like, working towards, like, a goal of, like, at least figuring out our needs and then figuring out the needs of those that we want to be in community with. And for me, like, the equity piece of that is a really important piece of it but as a white woman, I don't often feel like I can engage in conversations around that because I'm not I just wanna to kind of get out of the way and make sure that I'm not taking up space in a situation and, and things like that. But I do want to like feel like we like, can proactively also like work towards creating more equitable access to self-directed education as a whole and different things. So mm-hmm. I know that I've been feeling like when I get triggered, sometimes I just completely shut down. And I have to, like, go back to that commitment to disrupt, you know, schoolishness and pervasive whiteness in myself first and foremost, that's
1: the only Mm -hmm. way to be of service in any other way. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Man, thank you for saying that, because the work really does start from within. And that's really hard for for many people. Hell, it was hard for me where we so grow accustomed to literally seeing the results. But sometimes we just need to feel them mm. within ourselves before we can take whatever the next steps are. And even that, that self-work is an action. It's not an action for the masses, but it is an action within you so that when you do step out, if you are working to disrupt whiteness, if you are working to ensure that equity and self-directed education is at the center of the experience, then that's the focus. Like, that's that's all you can do. But it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy every time. You are gonna slip. Like, we're, we all slip. I don't care how many workshops a person takes. <laughs> I don't care how many books a person reads staying with yourself. I don't care, the action could be amazing. You could set up everything, have the best website, and it still fell because, not because of the action, but because of where you are as a person. You're not settled in it. I personally cannot engage in things that I'm not settled in with, even if I support them. If I have a particular if I have my own blocks to whatever it is, I have to sit with that first before I can move forward, because I want to make sure that the energy and the intention that I'm putting out there is as authentic as I understand it.
0: Mm, that is very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely be listening to this multiple times as a reminder. <laughs> Well, speaking about equity and SDE, we met through an SDE-focused unconference called Rooted Us last summer. Yes. And now just a little over one year later, the urgency behind this topic has become like, accelerated, very m- much more mainstream than it was, or at least it seems like that. There's a lot more articles yes. coming out. <laughs> yes. So I was wondering, you know, what Eclectic Learning Network and the other projects that you've been involved with, you know, what, what are your thoughts on on the kind of shift that's happening, Um, you know, there's a lot more talks about learning pods and micro schools. Do you think that the values, like, of de-schooling could be involved in, like, kind of a micro atmosphere since that's what you're doing with Eclectic Learning Network? And when they're Mm -hmm. calling, it like, a virtual classroom, could that also be a de-schooling-type environment? I was just curious, like,
1: what you are hearing
0: from people that are reaching out for advice.
1: Just what I'm hearing from folks who are just kind of transitioning into this, be it forced or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's for many parents who are exploring home education under whatever pathway they wish to take many times, it's due to trauma, whether, whether it's their own experiences in, in school that led them to this point, or whether it was experiences that their children have had that say, we need to find another alternative. So pre-pandemic or not, trauma and exploring methods of learning outside of compulsory education or just institutionalized education, it's a one-to-one with trauma many, many times. And right now, everything is, one, there's nothing new. Nothing new is happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have new factors, but the movements are not new. We have higher percentages of people who are moving in particular ways, but the movements themselves are not new. Mm-hmm. The, that level, what parents want for their young people, that's always been there. For some folks, this pandemic was the icing on a poorly made cake, and it gave them just the amount of momentum they need to shift away. For other families, this is painful as all get out, and the notion of their young people not attending school is really, really difficult to come from for several reasons, whether it's their connection to school and the notion that young people do not learn outside of those spaces, because that's kind of the catchphrase that we're given. Like, this is a place to learn, um, but not necessarily play. Mm -hmm. Um, And parents work. You know, we live in a time where we're not even able to spend time with our young people, because work demands it, capitalism demands it, you know, that we show up in these spaces and step away. And we kind of leave all that to educational institutions to not only cover whatever their expectations are around curriculum, but also their social emotional awareness. Should that be included? Most definitely. But right now, so many families are struggling with the school was providing all of that because they did not have the time because they have to supply shelter and and whatever they need to do. But it's here now. And People are asking for so many things, but they just wanna see an end to all of this. And I, I think it's more of trying to figure out what the quote unquote new normal is. And for me, I find that to be a bit, not necessarily dangerous, but it does create kind of a fork in the road. We don't know. Education is one of the factors that many of us grew up with believing that it would never really change. We could forecast it. I mean, we would have guidance counselors say, oh, these are the industries that are going to be in high demand when you're in post-secondary. Like all of these things would show up that many of us relied on. Now all of that is gone. All of it. So what folks are asking for is really insight. They're trying to figure out not only how they're going to be able to take care of their families inclusive of school but how they're going to get to work what their work is going to be many parents are getting kind of a window into young people's experiences that they were having with their teachers right at home and some of that is opening up all sorts of doors for better or worse but it's opening up doors and i personally look at this entire time as an opening, but a closing of something that was harmful to all of us and an opening for us to really, really unpack what we've accepted as societal norm and break it down for what it is and come up with something that is actually going to be supportive of the communities that they serve. and upholding the values of that community at the same time. That calls for a lot of work. I mean, if it were up to me, I'd say everything shut down for two years, but that's devastating for many families. But if I could wave a wand, that's what I would do for school, is just shut it down because there's so much going on and people are just trying to figure out what tomorrow is going to look like, let alone people are thinking about testing right now. Please don't. Mm -hmm. This the pandemic is a test. It's a global test. (laughs) Um, And that's all the test I need personally, not worried about those things if you don't have to. So many families who are contacting me are families who are definitely putting both feet in to what it would be like to shift and not just Coming up with something that it, what I call window dressing or a three-card monty where we're just changing the facade of what we're offering—that's not what I offer. So anyone who's contacting me is looking toward disrupting the norms that have deeply impacted us generation wide. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, one of your uh, workbooks is called the disruptor's ear, right? Or developing yeah. a disruptor's ear. Yep. Yeah. But you can find on eclecticlearningnetwork.com, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, that's an excellent point that really we have so much to, to be constantly thinking about in every way when we're making decisions now going out in public. What are we going to be doing with our our own bodies all the time? Just a constant mm-hmm. level of like a heightened awareness that it seems difficult for me as an adult to focus on some bigger things so I can only imagine what young people must feel if they're trying to prepare for any type of virtual testing.
1: Yeah, it's it's a lot <laughs> for, for all of us to, to have to sh- expect. I, and for me, it really is that expectation to show up in spaces as if nothing is wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where, And though we were expected to do that way before March, you know, this whole idea of separating separating the, you know, the work life balance. There is no separation. It's all connected. People say, Oh, I got up on the wrong side of the bed, like whatever phrase they want to coin. You take that energy into the space with you. You can't just shut down. Um, you could, but you're really just suppressing something that's going to resurface at a date in the future, <laughs> whatever that is.
0: Mm-hmm well when it comes to community and ways that we can still connect with each other in this time of of feeling well it's not just this time like you said this is nothing new i mean it just kind of pulled off that the tarp that was covering everything up i feel like cuz everyone was so busy and now it's like mm-hmm. more of the decay is apparent and at least for me i know that i'm seeking community but i'm finding it more difficult than ever to mm-hmm. know how I can f- be in communities in ways that feel f- like fulfilling to me and so um especially when it comes to wanting to work on like unconscious bias and mm-hmm. unpacking all of that and so I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about like what does the word community mean to you and maybe a little bit around how does unconscious bias consent and identity come into play in a community in your opinion
1: mm. Man, community is everything for me and the the short answer it's it's all facets of me and everything around me um, at one given time and community is it's layered. it's not monolithic by any stretch of the imagination. there's not just there's racial community, but then there's, community that is diverse in thought and thinking and innovation and what it means to come together and really questioning what does it mean to come together as a community? How far are folks willing to go to step into that realm? Whether it's blocks coming together and developing their own garden um, to ensure that their block is really solid on making sure that they have fresh produce in their home, or the community is coming together to ensure that all folks in the area who are seeking assistance and support have accessible (laughs) avenues to obtain that that support, Um, community is many, many things for me, and it really depends on who's in the community, and that for me is what defines that community.
0: And I noticed that one thing that you talk a lot about is that it's totally okay to ask questions. And you have a web series called It's <laughs> Okay to Ask with your daughter. Yes. We, <laughs> yes, which people can find on EclecticLearningNetwork.com mm-hmm. and by becoming a supporter on Patreon. And so I was wondering when you're talking about It's Okay to Ask, is what would you suggest that we ask ourselves when we're thinking about what type of community we would find joy or would like to be a part in or to help co-create do you have any questions that you, I don't know, come to mind for you or that you've even asked others or people you've heard ask themselves about that? Just how we can intentionally co-create
1: community? Mm -hmm. For me, it, it still circles back to de-schooling and asking questions that are framed something like, how have I been serving myself? And how has that impacted and supported community in a positive way or not so positive way. What are some things that I can do? What are some things that I will do? Because those are not the same thing. Many times we engage community from what we can do, but not necessarily from what we will do. We can do many things, but what we're willing to do is a different conversation. And there I think there should be more space for folks really being honest around what they are willing to do that's within their capabilities, not from a space of, oh, let me just fill this void. Burnout is soon <laughs> sure to come, sure to come from from jumping in feet first and just wanting to be in the space. That's not going to be enough. There has to be some type of understanding or acknowledgement within the self that says, okay, this is something that I not only can do, but I am willing to do.
0: Thank you. I'm definitely going to start thinking about that and framing it that way. Mm-hmm. What will we, what, what will we
1: do? Yeah. Yes. Cause can we do like people want change, right? By and large, most people want change but not the same percentage of people want to change. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of external things that people want to see changed, but within themselves, that's different. And that's where the de-schooling comes in. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, is there anything when it comes to de-schooling that you'd want to talk about a little bit more, Um, just like ways that we could start practicing it in our everyday lives?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, well, for for parents and educators, I meet monthly with a group of folks um, through our Meetup, Deschooling is a thing. Right now it's waitlisted, but we have a group of about, oh, 70 total folks, and maybe 30 or 40 will come through every month, and we apply unschooling approaches to that time. So our conversations are emergent based on what's rising for all participants, and we talk shop. We are brutally honest, but respectful. There is no one one upping, there's no judgment, but we just share what's rising for us as parents, as folks who are committed to disrupting systems that are harmful for educators who want to shake it up. We have a combination of folks who are down with reform and folks who are down with abolition, depending on who you talk to. And I love that about the group and we ask these questions. We, we sit and we sort through anything from screen time and the impact of screen time, how sometimes that be, can become hypocritical with adults and our levels of access to screen time. Um, we have those conversations, but for me, de-schooling is a natural thing. Typically, when something makes you feel uncomfortable, that's your window to start exploring. Many times we like to deflect when we come across something that brings discomfort. But for me, it's about pushing against it gently and knowing yourself, right? Not to do anything that would increase harm. But when things are happening for you, um, it's really easy to just kind of just sweep it under the carpet and either treat it as an isolated incident or kind of just hope it never happens again. But for me, de-schooling, is what happens when those challenges do show up and you meet the challenge where it is not without a goal but to feel through why this brings so much discord for you why is this a pain point if we can get to the space where we can acknowledge what our pain points are then it makes the interactions a hell of a lot easier to engage not because we have the solution but because we are aware that this is an area for us that would have normally been a barrier. Mm
0: -hmm. And going back to not being in a rush to figure out those pain points about ourselves.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, we know, right? We we do a really good job at covering up the things that we don't want to face within ourselves. We do a really good job of that as, as people. But when we are in a space to face ourselves that calls for some reassessing of boundaries within yourself, with people in your lives. It calls for a lot. And sometimes that work creates friction outside of yourself. In the world of unschooling or SDE, you're gonna have family members who are not okay with that decision. You may have a partner in the home who's not okay with that decision. You may have a young person who has all they know is school so the notion of not being in school is devastating mm-hmm. because they've already been conditioned to school equals this level of success. And if I'm not in school, then how will I achieve that? We help plant those seeds as adults because those were the seeds we were planted. So the job, well, the work, not really job, but just the work because it's living is for us to examine those. To examine those points where why are these benchmarks so important? Why am I centering your intelligence based on this information? Why am I not seeing you as a whole person? And then am I even seeing myself as a whole person? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and the boundaries piece goes right along with trauma and Mm -hmm. A lot of us that have experienced trauma, that's what my last episode was all about, was um, resiliency and recovering from trauma and also being patient with yourself because it doesn't just happen or you're just recovered. (laughs) (laughs) No,
1: a work in progress
0: all the time. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the Philly Children's Movement and and
1: children's rights there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Philly Children's Movement started... Uh, with a group of mamas in the northwest part of Philadelphia. And we came together because we wanted to create family-friendly actions, if there is such a thing. But we wanted to create family-friendly actions where um, during In Light of Ferguson, because that was really the the jump-off point for us that kind of shifted our indoor talk to something that was for the masses. But how can we... Create spaces where young people have a voice in this. Young people are seeing what's happening. Um, sometimes parents are hiding it from them, but over time, the truth comes out and it's horrible. So our focus is to shine a light on that and bring awareness to families around ways that they can come together and have conversations. If we are, if if we can protest, what would that look like? Um, and really be about our community, we will have annual um, gatherings at a local space and have a potluck and people can speak and speak about the things that are impacting them and just ways to support each other so that we understand who's in our community. We've kind of lost the whole idea of knowing your neighbor, um, your direct neighbor. And Philly Children's Movement is that's at the core of what we do is really understanding our community, whether it be the families who live in our community, the small businesses that live in that exist in this community, police, everyone. It's about having those conversations. What does it mean to have a conversation with a five-year-old about race? Uh, how how does having conversations about race and racism and its impact work for a transracial adoption family? And how can we support? So Philly Children's Movement works with community, but we also work with schools where we provide training for folks in all roles in public and private schools around what it means to shift your practice and really explore this curriculum and call the curriculum out for what it is. Um, so. We work with teachers and educators figuring out how they can make their classrooms more culturally inclusive, what they can do with their curriculums to ensure that all young people in the classroom are being reflected and honored equitably. And teachers, many of them nowadays are white or white presenting teachers and in more quote unquote urban areas, the student body is the opposite. So many black and brown students are looking, their leadership does not reflect who they are. So what does that mean for a teacher in that position? And how can they support while also being mindful of their privilege, even without speaking, just standing in the space as a white person will do something for a classroom full of black and brown students. So our work is about understanding that and what small practical changes they can do to be able to not only let these young people know that they are being heard, but also what they as adults can do and how they can shift away from some of the harmful practices that it, that totally exceed and go outside of the classroom.
0: Well, if someone's living in Philly and they want to get involved with that, where would they go to learn more?
1: phillychildrensmovement.org. Folks can come through there and check it out. Um, and they can also get to it from my website, eclecticlearningnetwork dot com.
0: Thank you. And if they live if someone is really moved by what that mission statement is and they're not living in Philadelphia, is there any other way um, that they could get involved, or would you recommend that they look at creating something similar in their area?
1: Well, they can totally reach out to us. We work with schools um, across the nation. So that's not, I don't want anyone to feel restricted because of distance. If there's a school who is looking for that type of support, then they can always reach out to us through the website. If it is a family or a community who is looking to create family actions, they can always reach out to us and we can work out something, either uh, partnering with them if they want to do something in their community or maybe even providing training so that they can start their own.
0: Oh, cool. I did not realize that. (laughs) I'm wondering, like, do you work with all different types of schools, like no matter the size, um, the style of school? Is it set up now? Yep. Okay.
1: All different, all different ones. And whatever ones, um, Philly Children's Movement or PCM for short, doesn't get to, then ELN covers those schools. So I work, ELN works more with like self-directed agile learning centers and things like that where PCM works more with private public schools, whether it's like a Waldorf or just a public school or just a Quaker private school.
0: Mm, okay. Very good to know. Well, what about your racial equity and inclusion training? That's through eclecticlearningnetwork.com, right? Yes. And so if people yes. are interested in that, they can just contact you and just begin a dialogue about those services.
1: Yes. And yes, so it's called Shifting Our Practice. And if folks want to sign up for just a 30-minute chat, if they represent a group or an organization that's interested in training, then they can definitely fill that out and we can chat and, and see where it goes. But it's all of my off- offerings are curated to suit their needs. So there is no template uh, of sorts, right? There are certain things that are just going to be there and overlap, but how it's presented, the topics that are going to be explored, I apply unschooling and SDE approaches to the training.
0: Awesome. That's super cool. Well, is the webinar series still live um, from the Alliance for Self-Directed Education
1: that you created? Um, I don't know if it's still live on the website, but it's live on mine. So okay, anyone yeah. can go on there and check it out. Yes. Okay, cool. I'm just clicking
0: on it right now just to make sure. So if people are interested in this, this is a webinar series supporting parents during and beyond these uncertain times. And you can go to eclecticlearningnetwork.com backslash parent support. And that has the link to all three uh, parts in a bonus session. So okay. that might be some great, uh, learning avenue for folks. And then is there anything else that for maybe people like me that don't have children, maybe aren't currently able to do facilitating because of the way that things are set up? Do you have any ideas on on just ways that we could get involved to continue to like I guess it really just goes back to maybe working on ourselves, <laughs> but just continue to disrupt and and plant seeds, even though a lot of us might not be in our our regular ways of of facilitating with young people.
1: yeah, well, developing the workbook that I co-created with Aquila S. Richards, um, developing a disruptor's ear, even though that is focused and written for. Uh, self-directed education centers, the work can be applied to anyone. So if folks are into workbook-based learning, that's always a recommendation that folks can check out and they can find that on my website as well. Um, If folks are into social media, I know many people are not (laughs) and I dig it, but if if they are, start looking for organizations or just regular folks who are doing things that really are you're passionate about, whether it could be gardening, right? You could be ex- food scarcity, like these are all things that are a part of the work. Mm-hmm. So whatever arises for you, that's the focus and see how you can help, whether it's just sharing sometimes, just acknowledging that these avenues are available is really helpful to anyone, because one, you're disrupting your own rhythm, and you're highlighting a space or a person who is really doing what I call dopeness in the world.
0: Cool. Well, speaking of of that and everything that we enjoy doing in the world, what do you enjoy doing? I'd love to know. You're doing all these incredible things, so I'm just wondering, what else What else are you involved with? What else do you love to do and bring, find joy? in? Oh. Oh man,
1: I love music. That really is my yeah, that, that's my that's my therapy. Music is it takes me to so many places and that's also part of that de schooling. Sometimes I will hear a song from when I was a young girl and I can remember certain things and images come back to me and I just it's um it brings me happiness. It makes me contemplate. Uh, so yes, music is a part of my daily, daily wellness routine. Um, thinking on my thoughts is the most fun thing that I enjoy doing. I love to think on my thoughts, no goals. I just literally think on my thoughts. Uh, what else do I love? I love cooking and, I watch all sorts of crazy movies. Well, some people will call them crazy. They're (laughs) great for me, but I'm a Netflix binge watcher. I love horror films. I just finished watching The Bates Motel, so that was great. And uh, yeah, Yeah, those are the things off the top that really give me peace. And then uh, the number, number one thing is taking walks in nature. Mm. I love to sit with the trees. And just, I just vibe, you know, just alone, go for my walk and let it all happen, whatever that is.
0: Mm, Me too. (laughs) I was just laying under a giant tree yesterday. (laughs) Nice. Last night, vibing with it. Something extremely grounding about just like being by a tree for a little while. Mm Mm-hmm. And thankfully, we yeah. can still hug them. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Malika, is there anything else that you'd want listeners of this episode to hear in closing? Any other um, offerings coming up, or events online, or anything like that you'd just like them to know about?
1: I think. I think you've really touched on the, the kind of popular things that are happening right now and public things. I have a lot of other projects, but they are private projects. So those are taking up quite a bit of my time with working with different school districts and providing training for them. But as far as things that are open to anyone, definitely if anyone is interested in the meetup, the monthly meetup on deschooling. Uh, the waitlist is available for you to sign up on, and you're more than welcome to join if you are down with our, our group mission. Um, if folks are looking for private coaching sessions around de-schooling, I have an offering where it's, it's literally called uh, Shedding Our Shit. That's the name of the session. And we just talk, just like you and I are doing right here. And we feel through it all. Uh, for schools, of course, it's the shifting our practice for anti-racism training, and yeah, and shifting learning pathways for families who are just getting into the home education journey and just feel stuck like nobody's business.
0: And everybody can find out about those through eclecticlearningnetwork.com. Yep. Cool.
1: They're all there.
0: Where's the personal coaching? I didn't see that.
1: Oh. I'll. I'll take it I'll make it I'll unhide it
0: okay I was like clicking around maybe I just didn't click enough
1: yeah no you're fine I was making I was actually making some changes earlier today so yes I will unhide it now
0: okay cool yay yeah I I heard something on an interview you did recently about that and I was intrigued so I'll definitely be checking it out and do you work with everybody or do you need do you
1: prefer working with parents or like what type of person would oh everyone um it's a nice split between parents and educators. So you don't have to be a parent to get to have a coaching session, um, not at all because this is just life work and it's totally fine and we'll talk whatever needs to whatever we need to talk about. So yeah, it could be anyone. Super cool. Well,
0: mm-hmm. thanks for sharing that with us.
1: You're welcome.
0: And thanks for all of the wisdom that you shared today. It's been an honor, and I'm really excited to edit it and share it out to everybody in the world. Well, thanks, Malika.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Amy.
0: The word de schooling isn't in the dictionary yet, but it is very searchable, and it's being discussed and applied in a wide range of spaces, both online and offline. Of course, you can read about it on Wikipedia as well. Here's the wiki definition and a deeper analysis from Akila S. Richards' recently published book, Raising Free People, Unschooling as Liberation and Healing Work. Deschooling is the mental transition a person goes through after being removed from a formal school environment. It usually refers to children who have been removed from schooling for the purpose of unschooling. But technically, the term applies to any person leaving school, either by dropping out or graduating. Akilah goes on to say, sure, that's the origin of the word in the context of education, but more than that, de-schooling is the shift that happens after mad question asking starts working. Here's Aquila's two-part definition of unschooling. Shedding the programming and habits that resulted from other people's agency over your time, body, thoughts, or actions. Designing and practicing that align with your desire to thrive, be happy, and succeed. Now, I know you're definitely gonna want to read more from Nikhila's new book, Raising Free People. So be sure to order a copy through pmpress.org directly to support those involved with creating the book. And also be sure to check out all the other super awesome books they have at this badass radical publisher while you're there. And you're going to find all of these links on the show notes, along with everything that you heard from Malika today and a few other uh, de schooling support links that I'm going to post in there for a bonus. So it's autumn, and it's time to take a breather and process all that we've heard these last, I don't know, even know, time isn't real. So basically, we're calling this a wrap for season two. Thank you again to Malika Diggs for sharing about her life's work, Vigno Minetti for the intro music, Taylor Greenshields with Fundamental Sound Co. for mixing and producing this episode, and another big thank you to Anna Golmoka and Taylor Greenshields for sharing these melodies that you're hearing in the background. We're going to be pausing the show production for an imagination break and to really feel out and process all of the lessons and everything that we've learned. We will be working on season three when we feel like the timing is aligned. Stay tuned to Unified Threads on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts can be found. Keep growing resiliency and listening to your intuition. Until season three, much peace and love. Continue to dismantle systemic racism however you can. Hear you
1: soon.